Welcome to First 100K, the show where I interview successful entrepreneurs about how they made their first $100,000. Digging deep to find the tools, tactics, and superpowers that you can use to go from A to 100K. I'm your, your host, your coach, your friend, Joseph Warren. I am also the owner of two co-working spaces here in Tampa, where I have the opportunity to coach, to mentor hundreds of small businesses and help them start, launch, and grow their companies. Today, our featured guest is fearless entrepreneur, Greg Walker. Now, Greg is not only um, a longtime successful entrepreneur, but he's a keynote speaker, one of the best in the world. He dominates the stage. He's also the best-selling author of Dream to Grow, Grow Rich, which has been a endorsed by uh, Les Brown and other mega, mega stars and influencers. So, Greg, I just want to welcome you to the show. Go ahead and fill in some of the gaps in that intro. Thank you, brother. Uh, no, I appreciate you having me on. I'm always grateful for anybody who uh, wants to just listen to my mouth blab. Um, and believe me, I wasn't always like this. You know, my wife is in the other room. We've known each other all of our life. I never asked her to marry me 30 years ago. I was so shy, I gave the ring her only sister and asked her to marry me. I wasn't always, I didn't start speaking until three years ago at Got the it. advice of Les Brown and his mentor, Mike Williams, that I joined Toastmasters because I've always been quiet, but they convinced me that I had something. As Les Brown says, young man, you got the juice. You just have to believe in yourself. You believed in yourself and business, but I really didn't. When I was at the top of my game, the second largest subway franchisee in uh, Central Ohio, I still didn't believe in myself. I didn't, I still sat in the back of the room when we were in Hawaii and I was talking to franchisees. I still didn't, I thought I always got lucky in my life. What do you and think now, was missing? Why do you think you didn't really believe in yourself, even though you had the outward evidence to show that you were successful? I think it was my family life. I just thought I got lucky mm. in, in the business world. And now I know there's no such thing as luck. You know, as my first mentor, Dave Thomas of Wendy's told me, when I met him in the eighth grade in junior achievement, I called him a fool because he said he dropped out of the 10th grade and my family all dropped out of the ninth grade. So I called him a fool. My teacher brought him in there specifically to talk to me. And when he told me he dropped out of 10th grade, he was an orphan. And when he taught me that hard work will beat any GPA, hard work will beat a Harvard degree, then that's when I knew that I could do something. But I still didn't believe in myself. I didn't. I, would, I didn't smile most of my life now. I smile every chance I get. If you look at my Facebook, Instagram, I didn't smile until I was probably 42 years old. I didn't. Wow. I just kept thinking I'm getting lucky opening restaurants. Uh, I thought I got lucky writing a number one best-selling book where Michael Jordan's coach wrote something, Forbes magazine. Les Brown wrote the forward. I'm not even a member of the National Speaker Association, but yet Mike Frank, the president for 20 years, wrote something nice. I thought all those things were just lucky. Mm. And I started believing in myself a couple years ago that, okay, I did do something good. I think I always, I always wanted to surround myself with being humble. And I thought if I said something about myself, that people wouldn't like me. But my wife has convinced me, Les Brown has convinced me, my mentor, Dave Thomas's children convinced me, it's okay to say, you've done good. Yeah. You've done good. You know, I get that so much, right? Just relatedness. And I know some of our listeners in Startup Nation right now, they're hearing this and they they grew up in childhoods that, where there was a lot of pain, there was a lot of ugly, there was a lot of mess. I know I did. And you know, the story, the, the limiting belief that I had most of my career was 
very similar to yours. It was a poverty mindset of, well, nobody in my family has succeeded. Um, you know, I'm meant to be poor. You know, poverty is just a way of life. Uh, you know, I had those echoes in my ears as a young kid. Joseph, you're never going to be great. You're not meant to be great. God didn't make us to be great. God meant us just to go through life and be humble. And that whole association with humble um, and the opposite of humble is braggadocious. And that, that was only the two black and whites that I saw. And now I've come to believe, I think, as well as you, that no, when you go out and do the work and the hustle and get the results, it's okay to say, hey, look what I've done and you can do it too. And it's not in a braggadocious way. No, it's, it's, it's in a uplifting way. Oh, yeah, exactly. That. And even Les Brown says, you know, Les always taught me that when someone says something nice about me on social media, or they leave me a voicemail to keep those. Cause he said, there's going to be a time when you speak and you rock it and they give you a nice check. And I've done this where I've sat in my car and I've cried and I called my wife and said, why are they paying me good money to speak? What? Because I, I still think sometimes someone's going to wake me up and say, sucker, you didn't do all this stuff. This was just a dream. I cry sometimes when I sit in my, when we, I took my nieces to New York City. They treated us like kings and queens. I sat in my room and I sat there and I looked at my nieces sleeping in a nice suite. And I thought, why are they playing games with me? Hmm. And, I, and, I, and I'll talk to Les and, and Les will say, young man, just accept that check. Accept it with gratitude and do what you do. I hear that loud and clear. Okay. So... You know, my first question is normally um, share something personal that very few people in your business life know about you. Is there anything that well, shows up there? Well, no one uh, knew my story until I joined Toastmasters. Yeah. It was my wife that always tried to tell me to get our story out, but I didn't want to because I didn't want people to feel sorry for me. I didn't want people to think bad things of me. And plus, you know, when you're in the world's largest fast food franchise, you don't want to let them know that all your brothers are locked up that your mm -hmm. sisters are prostitutes, that people read about your family. Well, when I told my story in Toastmasters uh, almost three years ago, a lot of people said, Greg, you're going to be a speaker. Actually, I'm in the oldest Toastmasters group in Ohio. We just turned 55 years old. And we have the oldest Toastmaster in Ohio. His name is Charlie Ashley. And we were sitting one time, I was into my fifth speech. And to this day, I don't write speeches. You know, I had to uh, admit to Toastmasters I thought I was doing something bad. And I told him, I said, hey, guys, I have something to tell all of you. You know, I was in three advanced Toastmasters groups. I was in it for three months. I said, I have to tell you something. They said, what? I said, I'm sorry I've been lying to all of you. And they said, what are you talking about? I said, well, I've never written an icebreaker speech. I've never written any speeches. So Charlie Ashley, the oldest Toastmaster, one of my mentors now, he says, young man, it works for you. Mm. Les Brown doesn't write speeches. He doesn't. We just say, how much time do we have? What do you want the audience to? And that's, that's just the way I learned. I graduated 454th out of 455. Only because my teacher changed my grades because she wanted me to be the first person. So I, I learned a different way. And now at 52, I'll be 52 in, in 20 days. I'm okay with saying I can't do certain things. I can tell you right now, as a multimillionaire, a speaker around the world, a best-selling author, I do not know what, and this is God's honest truth. I cannot tell you what a verb is. I can't. I was ashamed of that all of my life. Mm. I was ashamed that I didn't know how to do that, or I don't know how to do algebra. But like one of my friends says, Greg, I'm a master at algebra, and I'm broke. 
right? <laughs> yeah, that says it all right there. You know, so, it's, it's very rare, Greg, that, and I don't mean this with any ego, but it is very rare that the guests on my show end up coaching me. And the things that you're saying right now are literally speaking right to me. Like you're connecting right here. And I just, I just want to acknowledge you for that because I already, we have different past, but already the, the pain, the connectedness in the pain and the struggle um, shows up the way I speak. And I always thought there was something wrong with it was I tried the whole memorizing and, and drafting a talk and everything. And I realized it, I felt confined. I felt trapped. I felt like, I, I felt like a caged tiger if that makes any sense. And I wasn't letting out my true self up on stage in those moments. And what I found works for me best is to write three bullet points on a little note card. These are the three messages I want to get across. And then the rest, I say a prayer before I go up. God, give me the words that these people need to hear because I have no idea where they're coming from. I have no idea what's going on in their life. Just give me the words that you need in order to break through and get access to their hearts. And that has been the game changer. And I just go up in with this freedom and this fluidity of just let's see what shows up and the conversations, yes. the connectedness, the humanity that happens. That's my superpower. And, yeah. it, and it happens because I, I stopped trying to do it the way others do it. That's right. I didn't know when I was in Toastmasters in, uh, in six months, you know, Charlie Ashley said, I believe we're looking at a world champion public speaker and a paid speaker. And I looked at Harold Thomas, who mentored me on one speech, my icebreaker, who graduated from Georgetown, and then Maria, who is a great orator from Ohio State. I looked at them and I said, who is Charlie talking about? And they both said, he's talking about you, Greg. And I said, did he say a chicken wing eating contest? Because I can eat some wings. <laughs> I thought they were just Listen, I brought one of my trophies home, a big gold trophy, about three feet. I smashed it up against my granite countertop in front of my wife and daughter. My wife said, what in the hell are you doing? I said, I'm tired of these people playing me, giving me all these trophies. Once again, I thought they were. But when I had a temperature and I came to my final speech to try to get Las Vegas two and a half years ago, I had a temperature of about 104. Everyone asked me, please, Greg, go home. I was sweating all over the place. I said, no, I, I, I got to do it. I got to do it. They begged me not to do it. So there's eight other guys that are competing against me. Three guys I thought they were professional speakers. They were that good. I got up, did my speech, um, got done. I was leaving. Uh, Maria, she grabbed me, says, son, where are you going? I said, I'm done. I just wanted to compete. She says, no, 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 no. You, you told us, let you stay here. You're going to stay here. They called the third place. I get up. Uh, Charlie said, where are you going, young man? I said, I'm going to go, Charlie. I just want to compete. I know who's going to win. They said, no, you're going to go through the whole process. They called number one. Uh, I'm sitting there just sweating all over the place. People's got rags. And three people said, go get your trophy, young man. And I raised my head up and I said, what are you talking about? And everybody's looking at me, clapping. They said, go get your trophy. So I beat all eight of those guys and the three guys I thought. So when I had that temperature there, and by the way, when they remember me for one thing, because when I accepted my trophy, I threw up all over the place. <laughs> plus, my, plus my speech was called I'm Possible. 
And it was about my life. And that's what got me to the world championship this year also was about my life. So that's where I started believing, okay, if I can beat these guys with the temperature and sick, maybe I do have something. Mm. And, uh, and, and then I won one competition. I defeated myself. You know, people know Les Brown, but very few people know Mike Williams. That's the man who told uh, who Les Brown always talks about. Les Brown has only spoken in front of Mike Williams three times in 45 years. Well, Mike is my mentor too. He still lives here in Columbus, Ohio. Well, he came into a competition. And if you weren't a Toastmaster, you had to pay $55. So there's this guy from Cleveland who he was running for a political office. His dad was a politician. His grandfather was a politician. Well, I see Mike walk in and said, Mike, what are you doing here? He said, Greg, I'm here to hear you speak. I said, but you have to pay $55. I said, yeah. And he said, what are you doing in the back room here, Greg? Why aren't you sitting up with the other competitors? I said, Mike, I shouldn't even be here. He said, why? I said, see a guy in the nice suit? He's running for, I don't know, uh, some civic office in Cleveland. His dad, his grandfather's a politician. He said, Greg, what would you do? What would you think Les Brown would do as he is here? I said, Les would get up and wipe him off the stage. He said, exactly. Les had to fight for things. You had to fight for everything in your life. I guarantee you that young man has never had to fight for anything in his life because his father and his grandfather. He said, you get up there and do what you do and just don't worry about it. I got up there, did it. I'm holding the trophy. I walked by Mike Williams. He holds his hand back. So I smack it and he yells out, that's what we do. That's what we do. And so that start- politician, that politician became one of my friends, Randy. We are now friends. And he said, Greg, I wish I could speak like you. So what are you talking about? He says, I write speeches and I, I memorize them. Mm. I don't, you and I, we don't write speeches because people want to hear truth. They don't want, to, they don't want the made-up, make-up no. woman or man on the news anymore. And you know what happens when you write a speech, Greg? It, it comes from here, right? Yes. People want it from the heart, not from the head. And that's, that's, right. that's the connection, right? So that's what makes a great speaker is someone who connects the hearts of humanity, not the heads, the minds of humanity. So Startup Nation, as you're listening to Greg share his story right now, you can, you can feel the emotion coming across. You could feel the authenticity. So if you're a speaker out there struggling to make your first $100,000, hey, that's what this show is about. And here we have a, a great speaker, Greg Walker, who's been mentored by some of the best in the industry. And he's sharing, this is how he goes up. And, and connects with, with other people. And it's not a place where he's coming from up here. Okay, how can I ma- manipulate? How can I get, what's that secret recipe to, to get them to buy my products in the back of the room? None of that is really showing up. And you can see this is coming from a real place. This is all, also a man sitting in front of us on the show right now who literally just went through an amputation and is still showing up here to do this recording on First 100K. So I just want to, acknowledge Greg for this and you know really just Greg listen it's easy for us to listen to 100 millionaires and billionaires and to you know just be all lit up by ooh that's look at where they're at someday someday I'm gonna get there but it's very difficult for us to relate to them when we're here when we're struggling to make our first $100,000. So I really want you to paint us a vivid picture, go back in time, if you will, and talk to us about that. When you were struggling to make your first 100K, and I know you're doing millions right now, and, and that's fantastic, but 
take us, our audience is still there. Startup Nation is there. So talk to us about that. What was that struggle like? What was going through your head? What was that mindset? In a what are you talking about in, in my life period? In your life or in your speaking business? Oh, okay. Um, Let's talk about that. Well, the first 100K in, in speaking, I tell people those all the time. Don't look at someone making 500,000 or a million or 10 million. Look and say, how can I get that first paid speech? Mm -hmm. Is there a school around the corner that they'll pay me $300 or $100? And then what you do is when you get to that $100 mark, you put everything on the table and you give more value in what you're paid for. In other words, there was a guy who was supposed to be speaking around the corner. I raised my two nieces, my 15 siblings' daughters. And there was a, my niece come home and said, uncle, my guidance counselor said there was supposed to be a motivational speaker come in, but he wanted $6,500. And they said, we don't have that kind of money. So she told her about her uncle and I called and I said, what is your budget? They yeah. said, Greg, our, our budget is $2,200. I said, how about you give me 1500 and you keep the rest to bring in another speaker or do something else? I'm five minutes from the school, right? Yeah, why wouldn't you? Imagine if you could do $1,500 five days a week. That's like almost $7,500 a week. That, not too many business owners are making $7,500 a week. Mm -hmm. So I did that. So guess who they call back every year now? I right? That. Yeah. Because, I gave, because I gave more value. Now, this guy was coming from Cleveland. So you're in Tampa, right? Mm -hmm. Correct. W would you go, would you go uh, from Tampa to, um, uh, let's see, Bradenton? Bradenton's around Tampa, right? Correct. Probably about, what, 20 minutes, half hour, something like that? Yeah, about 30 minutes. So w w would you go there? Would you go there if someone was going to pay you $1,000 to speak for an hour? Absolutely. And if I felt I could serve them and add value, yes. I'd do it so for this 500 so this guy is supposed to be a professional speaker. He did not ask, what is your budget? So everyone out there wants to make your first 100K. You have to say, what is your budget? And here's another thing. I hear speakers all the time say, don't speak for free because free doesn't pay your bills. Listen, I just got back from New York City. Five days, they treated me and my niece like kings and queens. You know why? Because they heard me speak for free somewhere. Les Brown always taught me, young man, you do not know who's in that audience. That's right. When you're speaking. I just got done speaking to the city of Columbus. Now they want me to they introduce me to the mayor, Governor Kasich, right? All because a friend of mine was supposed to speak from Toastmasters, teaching high school kids how to speak, right? Well, he couldn't do it. So he recommended his friend to Greg the Big Dreamer. And he told the city leader, you'll love Greg. He's authentic. He speaks from the heart. He's not afraid of these kids in the inner city because he grew up in the inner city. Yeah. And they cannot, they cannot promote me enough. I have to tell them, listen, you don't have to give me every speaking gig. You can give other people stuff. But they, I, had, I had them in the heart. I had them in tears. You know, my leg, that's when my leg was bad. Um, they got me a seat because I couldn't stand. You know, so I sat and talked, but then I had to get up. They saw my passion. I got an email from the city leader. She says, Greg, that young man, the thuggish boy that you called out, that you brought up, made him look you in the eye, shake you in the head, shake your hand and tell him what he's going to be, what he's not going to be. He's that young man we were kicking out of, out of the program. Hmm. We were kicking him out because he had a bad attitude. He was a thug. She said, when you pulled that young man out there, he became the leader 
of the class for the next two weeks. And that's all because I spoke for free. I don't write speeches. I just pour out at heart. What do you want me to tell this group? What do you want me to tell these real estate investors when I went to, to New York to speak to Aria, the, eight, the biggest Asian real estate group? What do you want me to tell? And that's what I do. Hmm. So I, tell, I want to tell everyone out there, don't be afraid to speak for free and give more. If they ask you to speak, if they say, hey, Big German, can you speak another 20 minutes? Absolutely. Yeah. Because they, they will remember that. They will remember that. So don't be afraid to speak for free. And three things that Les Brown always taught me. This is what the world wants to know. And listen, people pay Les Brown $30,000 to get this, but I'm giving it to you for free because he's my, friend. he's my friend and my mentor. And he gifted me his Les Brown Institute for my life because seven of his children grew up here in Columbus. And this is where he started at. Three things I want everyone to listen to. In everyday life, this is what people want from us. Who are you? What do you have to say? And why should we give a crap? Yeah. If you can do those three things, just like we meet someone on the street, who are you? So what, what do you do? What are you about? Why should I listen to you? That's all I do. That's all Les Brown does. That's it. And you don't have to have a thousand speeches. Les Brown has about two speeches. Everyone knows. He just so how, goes around. So how would you answer that? Those three what, questions for you. My, my, mine is, I'm Greg Walker, known as the Big Dreamer, because I come from one of 15 children. And everyone told me, what, you're going to be the first one to graduate high school, go past ninth grade. What? You're going to open up a business? You're going to become a millionaire? You're going to feed 2,200 people a month in Central Ohio for the rest of your life for free? Really? That's a big dreamer. So I'm called the big dreamer, and I embrace that now. Um, after my friend who died of cancer gave that name because he always heard people, my mother-in-law, call mm -hmm. me that. So he said, Greg, you are the big dreamer. You're the big doer. Um, what, what am I about? My life is about uplifting, elevating everyone I see. Listen, when you talk to my wife of 30 years, my nieces, my daughter, my mother-in-law, They'll tell you, maybe Greg joining Toastmasters was not such a great idea after all, because I won't shut up now mm. because I found my gift at 48 years old. My gift is not about running restaurants. My gift is not about making money. My gift is about inspiring people. I get notes every single day because I post on Facebook about how, so I lost most of my foot, right? I can smell, I can breathe. I have good food. I have clean running water. I can put my key in the door to open my door. There's someone worse off. I have so many great emails where people say, Greg, I was thinking about taking my life because I have so many setbacks with my health, with mm -hmm. my business, but you have truly inspired me. That's my gift. And why should you listen? Because I was once where you are now. I was worse off with you. When most of you will never walk in and see your father molesting your sisters. Most of you will never come from a family where everyone dropped out of the ninth grade. That's why I want you to listen to me. That's why I want you to care because I've been where you're at right now. And I'm telling you, if you just trust the process, success is very, very easy. It's the process that's hard. You want to go open a restaurant? I can teach you how to open a restaurant in five weeks. But the process of running it, will be hard. If you just trust the process, I guarantee if you surround yourself with people smarter than you, Dr. Dennis Kimbrough said, if you're the smartest person in your group, you better find another group. I'm always the dumbest one in my group. Always. Always. And I want you to understand this. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your daddy did to you or your mommy didn't do to you. What matters is what are you doing right now 
to get where you want to go. Uh, what are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to really sacrifice? I slept in my first business for four years, leaving an hour. I sacrificed my limb by going to the World Championship Public Speaking. That sacrifice. And would I do it again? Absolutely. Absolutely. I didn't want to cancel a big event when I was going to Boston to speak for foster kids. They were going to treat me like kings and queens. But as Les Brown's daughter, Serena Brown, and my wife and my doctor said, absolutely, you cannot. You will die if you go to that and speak to there. So you got to do it. You got to ask yourself, what am I willing to sacrifice to get what I want? Are you willing to work five jobs? Are you willing to go pick worms? If you read my book, Dream to Grow Rich, it talks about how my brothers and I used to have to pick worms to give money to our father, who is an alcoholic, a pill pusher, right? Are you willing to go pick worms? Are you willing to drive for Uber? Are you willing to pick cans up, even though people might laugh at you? Are you willing to do that? I was, but are you? You know, and that's the question. And I'll tell you right now, it's like, I get to speak with a lot of millennials and I'll share one story. Um, gentleman came in as an apprentice. who's 23 years old to one of my coaches. And during the coaching session, he asked if he could sit in. And I was like, sure. So we go through the whole coaching session, which was all for, for me, right? In service for me. And then when we finished, I was like, so what's going on in your life? I turned to the young guy. And he was like, well, you know, I'm kind of wrestling with this opportunity. I'm about to get hired for Facebook. I'm interviewing with them. It's like my dream job. And, but I was like, so what's the problem? He goes, the problem is um, I don't, I'm, I'm waiting. And uh, I don't know if it's going to happen, if it's going to come through. And I was like, okay, so are you single? Is, you know, is waiting okay? And he goes, no, I have a wife and a little girl. And I was like, so how are you paying the bills right now? And he goes, well, I'm not. And I said, why not? I was like, why not? He's like, cause I'm waiting for Facebook to come through for me. It's my, my dream job. And I said, hold on a second. So what I'm hearing you say is that you're waiting for your dream job to come through and doing nothing in the meantime. And meanwhile, you're not being of uh, integrity with your own wife and daughter to pay the bills. I was like, bro, you need to man the F up. You know, you need need to just man up, do whatever it takes. And he's like, well, I don't want to go do like some job or whatever. (laughs) And we, and we got right to it. And, And what it came down to was this, and this is what so many millennials are wrestling with. And those listening in startup nation, listen, listen hard right now. He said, you know, I guess what it comes down to is I look at all my friends and they're all uh, working or pursuing their dream job. So if I go and tell people that I'm working at lazy days, which is like RV sales. RV, yeah. Yeah. He's like, that's just too embarrassing. And I have a, uh, an available job. My dad works there and he, he wants me to come work and I can make money like next week, but I, I just can't do it. And I was like, bro, you need to get past your ego. Seriously, get past your ego. Do what it takes. You got a wife and kid. Do you love them? He's like, yeah, of course I love them. Then I was like, why are you letting them struggle like that? So that you can not be embarrassed? Like man the F up, go take care of your wife and kids. When the dream job happens, it will happen or it won't. And he ended up doing it and he took the job, you know, but so many millennials out there are wrestling with that. It's my dream job or nothing. What would you I say tell, to them right now? I tell them this. I tell them this. UPS or FedEx, you would never see a white or brown truck come up in your driveway with a box, a package, that says, here you go, big dreamer. Here's your dreams. It's not going to happen. 
It's not going to happen. I tell people, get their lazy ass up and go do something. No one asked, no one asked Warren Buffett, what did you do, Warren, before you became the billionaire guy? No one ever asked Dave Thomas or Wendy's, what did you do? Greg, what did you used to do, right? They just see us now. Correct. They don't see that I worked in an auto dealership as a security guard. I worked as a cleaner. I, I, I baked donuts. I delivered donuts. People don't care about that when you're successful. And who cares? Listen, I used to worry. People say all the time, why do you wear a hat? Right? Why do you always wear a hat? Well, my daughter and my, and my niece is my wife knows. Right? They asked me that in, in Toastmasters. Greg, can you take your hat off? Took it off. They said, okay, you have some hair. And I said, why, Charlie? And he said, because we've never seen you without a hat. And I said, here's why. All of my life, I worried about what people thought of me. I always wanted to wear a hat, but I never did. All of my life, never wore a hat. I wanted to. One day, my daughter comes. I love the Miami Dolphins. I tell people, Miami Dolphins, they're, they're God's team. If you don't like the Dolphins, there's a place for you, right? <laughs> so she brings a hat home one day. He said, Daddy, just put this hat on. I put it on. My next door neighbor sees me. I go out to my car and he says, hey, Greg, you look, I've never seen your hat. You look great in a hat. I told him my wife said, you need to stop telling people to tell me that stuff. She said, Greg, I never talked to him. I didn't say anything. So my childhood friend comes over and says, bro, I ain't never seen you in a hat before. And you're wearing a duck. You're sporting that. You look sweet. I said, Charlie, stop, stop telling me that. I know my wife told you to say that. And my wife didn't. And I said, so Jan didn't talk to neither, either of you guys? And he said, no. So they liked me in my hat. So now I wear a hat. I don't care. I just put on my Facebook uh, page. You are truly, you have truly arrived when you don't give a crap about what people think of you. And my wife has always been like that. She always said, dear, if they're not taking care of your 15 brother and sister's kids, if they're not sending us on vacation, if they're not paying our water bill, our telephone bill, why should they matter? And that's where I'm at right now at 52. I don't care what people think of me. I don't. When I go speak in a place, listen, I turned down a $10,000 gig because they wanted me to wear a suit. I don't wear suits. I wore a suit to the World Championship Public Speaking, but I wore my matching Nike hat and my, and my, uh, my Big Dreamer hat and my Nike black and red shoes. And it matched my black and red suit that I wore for Les Brown, right? But I was still me. I don't conform. So I wore the suit, but I wore my Nike shoes and my Nike hat, right? Some people say that's why I didn't win the World Championship because a couple of the world judges don't believe in hats. But that's okay because I lost being me. And I'm one, I'm, I'm, I was the only paid speaker out of that group. All those other people that beat me, they want to do what I'm doing. You know, something that just shows up right there. It's like you lost the competition being your authentic self. That's right. Beats every day of the week, winning the competition, being somebody else. Does it not? That's right. Oh, it does. It does. Wow. And I got, I got so many great testimonials. Listen, I didn't know what a trio was. I had no idea what a trio was because I'm not all into the Toastmaster ac uh, acronyms or whatever. So this lady comes and says, Greg, can I do a video testimonial for you? I said, sure. She said, I'm such and such. I can't remember her name. And she said, I showed this to my Toastmasters group. And they said, Greg, that's phenomenal. She says, you, Greg, out of all 11 speakers, I sought out you because you had the true message. I could tell your message wasn't rehearsed. It wasn't written down. You touched people. You had people crying. She says, I'm still crying about your story. And she says, when I turned around and looked at the, at the trio, and they said, this guy is going to represent Toastmasters all over the world. He's going to be a paid speaker. See, they didn't know I was already a paid speaker. 
And she said, that's not a lip service, Greg. The trio turned and said, this guy is going to be a phenomenal world-class speaker. So I came back and I said, what is a trio? They said, Greg, a trio are the highest, but they're not allowed to vote. Mm. Right? So they sought me out after all 11 speakers. That's how – sometimes you can win even when you lose. I get that. So Startup Nation, listen to the value nuggets, the wisdom nuggets that Greg is dropping right here. At the end of the day, you want to arrive at a place where you don't care about what people think about you. And it's not that you don't care in general, right? That's yes, exactly. We're exactly. We're not talking about being irresponsible yeah. or being full of yourself. It's like F everybody. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about their limiting beliefs that they project onto you, their smallness that they project because it keeps them feeling comfortable where they're at. That's exactly what you want to stop caring about. Like when they say, Greg, you can't speak in shorts, right? Correct. You can't. One, uh, another old guy at Toastmasters two years ago said, Greg, um, uh, the way you're dressed? And I said, yeah. He said, um, you're going to have to dress better than that. And I said, well, how, how old are you, sir? And he said, I'm 64. I said, are you retired? He says, no. I said, well, I retired at 39 for my restaurant business. I'm, 50, I'm 51 now. I retired. I'm, I'm me. I'm not you. So now he tells me, we, I just became the first man to speak at the um, Marysville Correctional Institute, all women's prison. And he was there. And he said, Greg, I never thought that I would see you speaking all around the world in your shorts and your hat and your t-shirt. That's right? so cool. So you know, that's, what, that's what you don't listen to. Yeah, exactly. Quick story, like uh, back in um, with one of my earlier startups, I was uh, you know, looking for investment capital. And one of my good friends, right? Very successful guy. He had just sold a company to a very larger company and he just got a payout of about 30 million. And he was, he heard my pitch and he's like, Joseph, I love your concept. I like you. I think you're great. He's like, but I'll tell you why I'm not going to invest in you. And I said, why? He goes, honestly, just, you're not wearing a suit. I don't invest in guys who don't wear suits. It's just my thing. And I was like, that is the dumbest reason ever. But the point was he wanted to project his view of the world onto mm -hmm. me. He would and, never got Steve Jobs in. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it's like, it's such a small way of thinking, but yet many people do it. So the great value here. What is one of your daily habits that you do right now that, or even back then that really helped you get to where you are right now, Greg? I tell myself that I can do anything with hard work. So what does that look like? Like every morning you get up and you like what? Everything my wife and I wanted in our life. My 8,300 square foot home that I'm setting in, my wife and I sat in it 30 years ago when we first saw the model of it, about 28 years ago. I have everything in our bedroom, in our uh, closets, everything I want in life. Um, there's a check behind me where we once wanted to uh, donate $1,000. We have it. And the other check where we donated $100,000. We have that. So I have everything posted I want in my life because I do believe you have to have things to remind you. People say write goals down. I don't write goals down. I have them in my mind. But things I really want to do, they're posted everywhere. Even on my, on, in, in my wife's minivan, my next thing is I want to donate $1 million to a school or a hospital. And I have a $1 million bill there that I look at every single day. I look at that. 
So you have to, if you go on vacation without a GPS, you're going to get lost. Mm. You have to have things that remind you of what you want every single day. Otherwise you'll lose track. You'll lose track. So I have everything posted all over my house, my office, uh, and, and my, in our cars. That's what I do. What do wow. I want to do? I know, I know I can out, I know I can outwork any, any college degree. And that's why you see most of the billionaires in the world, they don't have college degrees. Yeah, I agree completely. So what would you uh, say right now to our startup nation of listeners uh, that are struggling to make their first 100K? Many of them have really good visions and a great message they want to share with the world, but they're struggling. They just can't break through that financial hurdle. What piece of advice, one piece of advice do you really want to land for our audience today? Find someone who's doing what you're doing and ask them, can you help me make a breakthrough? Can you help me uh, get unstuck? See, I believe, I don't believe people are really stuck. I believe they're just not reaching out to those who have already done it. Listen, it's, it's easy. All you have to do is find, if I, I've never ran a marathon, but if I want to run a marathon, I'm going to someone who runs the Columbus marathon here every year and ask, I have a buddy, Roger Van uh, uh, Sluis. He's an iron man, does stuff all around the world. But he didn't even start swimming until like two years ago. So if I want to run a, a, a biathlon or whatever, I'm calling him and say, brother, what do I have to do? What's the first couple steps I have to do? Hmm. That's all you have. Listen, Henry Ford might have been in the assembly line, the car. But then came Mr. Uh, Toyota, right? Mr. Honda. All those people came. So all you have to do is just find people who's doing what, what you want to do and ask them for help. And most people think that, oh, some, uh, a millionaire is not going to help me, a marathon runner. Well, just go ask. I that's all that. I do. That, that's all I do in my life. I ask. I ask now, everybody. Now, some people can say to you, Greg, well, Greg, that's really easy for you. You know, you're doing whatever, tens of millions of dollars. You're connected with Les Brown and all these great speakers. People know you. So when you ask, they listen. What about me? What about nobody knows me, right? I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to make 100K. How do I reach out to someone at that level? How would they take me serious? Why would they take me serious? Well, remember, I, remember I didn't speak. I didn't have meetings at all my restaurants until I joined Toastmasters. I didn't know anybody that knows Toastmasters. So I would tell people to join Toastmasters because they would teach you the mechanics of speaking. They would teach you the mechanics of speaking. And there's people there from all different industries. So you can reach out to them. That's what I love about Toastmasters is it's a, a global network. Mm. It's a, there's doctors, there's lawyers, there's teachers, there's warehouse workers there. And that's all opportunities to get a paid speaking gig. And I, what I, would and I would tell the, uh, someone out there who is struggling, this is, what, this is what Dave Thomas always taught me. In finances, all you have to do is say, how did I make a dollar? And how can I turn that dollar into $2? You know, give someone a quick lesson about selling a book, right? I tell people all the time, I say, you can make a million dollars by selling 100 books at $20 a book. And they say, how is that? Okay, in Ohio, there's 1,800 schools, just in Ohio, 1,800. All you have to do is sell 500 organizations, 100 books at $20. That's $1 million. So when you break it down to 100, it's, it doesn't sound bad, does it? Yeah, you don't have to sell 50,000. You, you got to do is sell 100. That's what I did in my restaurant business. That's what Dave Thomas told me. You don't have to sell a million hamburgers. All you have to do is sell 100 times 500. So there's 1,800 schools in Ohio. 
How many schools are there throughout the world? And you only have to sell 500 of them, 100 books, right? When you break it down like that, people's like, wow, I just want to make 50,000. That's even simpler. So that's why I tell people, don't look at the big number at 100,000. How can I make $100 a speech? How can I make 500? How can I make 1,500? See, everyone wants to look at the big number. That's right. People, people debate me all the time. And I tell them about, about my book deal. And I say, get a, get a pen and paper, write it down. 500 at 100, that's 50,000. At $20, that's $1 million. When you break it down, when my buddy says, Greg, I, I got to sell 10,000 uh, uh, pizzas a year. No, you don't. Break it down to how many pizzas you got to sell a day. And it becomes simplified. See, people always want to look at the big number. How am I going to make a million dollars this year? Don't look at the million dollars. Look and say, how can I make 5,000 a month? How yeah. can I make 1,000 extra a month? If you open your mind, if you open your, if you open your possibilities, step into your possibilities, as I tell people, there's endless ways to make money. You know how Mr. Honda started Honda? After the war, the U.S. left all these gas cans everywhere. So Mr. Honda started collecting all these gas cans, right? And then he invented something called the motor hub, the, the, um, uh, the little bike with the motor on it. So he thought it was great that the U.S. left all these gas cans everywhere, all these parts. And that's how Mr. Honda started the Honda Corporation right there. See, he didn't wait like a millennial and say, I'm waiting for someone to bring my dream. He saw the possibilities around him. And the true entrepreneurs, they will see, you know, listen, when Les Brown told me, I said, Les, there's no speaking money for me because everyone knows you. Everyone knows Eric Thomas, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Tony Robbins. He said, Greg, we were in Cleveland, Ohio. He said, Greg, you know, I started in Columbus. I have a house here in Cleveland. Go down to the grocery store, 7-Eleven, and ask them if they know who Les Brown is. I said, well, that's kind of stupid. Everyone will. So I went down to 7-Eleven. There was a black woman probably in her 60s. She says, how are you doing, son? I said, I'm, I'm phenomenal. She said, why are you phenomenal? I said, because I'm speaking with my friend, Mr. Les Brown. And I said, of course, you know who he is, right? She's like, no, who is Les Brown? So then there was a black police officer behind me, probably my age, 50-something. And I said, you know who Les Brown is, don't you? He says, uh, no, I don't. What, is, does he play sports? So right there, it proved to me that Les was right. There's someone out there who doesn't know you, who doesn't know me. And I, listen, I spoke in Zambia, Africa, right? And I asked him, I said, why do you want me to speak in Zambia, Africa with all these other speakers? Mr. Big Dreamer, we don't know them. We know Greg Walker. Right? Yeah. I get that, you know? It's like when we remove the excuses. That's right. We just look at what's available. We are able to create new possibilities for our life and literally transform our life. And it's like you said, they're all around us, these opportunities. Yep. You know, sometimes we look so far ahead instead of just looking right here. So, you know, startup nation, stop looking at the horizon. Look at your circle. Look at the five people you spend the, t the most time with and look at okay. who they know, right? Like reaching out on Facebook. I'm going to share like a vulnerable thing here. So like uh, this podcast, um, I, I normally uh, batch these uh, episodes. So I'll do like 10 in a row, whatever. And I'll have 10 weeks of content and then I'll just upload it to iTunes. And then I take off for, you know, a couple months. And I had let this, uh, the batch run out, right? So there was no more episodes in the pipeline. And last week, um, on Thanksgiving, uh, there was no episode on mm. dropped in iTunes and I was not of integrity with my audience. And I was just kind of like, whatever it's Thanksgiving, people will understand. 
And, you know, that was a disservice to everyone. And I made these excuses, you know, like, oh, well, I deserve time off, et cetera. And then I was like, you know what? That's not what it's about. What it's about is I'm being a wuss and I'm not just doing the work. I'm not doing the work that it takes. So I reached out on Facebook. You were one of the gentlemen I reached out to. And I said, hey, guys, I'd like to invite you on, you know, to be a guest on my podcast. And I reached out to 15 people. And you were one of eight people so far that were like, absolutely, I would love to. Now, you and I are meeting for the first time today on this, this show. And I just, I use that as an example of you were one degree of connectedness away from me. And I wasn't right. even reaching out. And that's just 15 of, I don't know, even know, I have like 3,000, 2,000, whatever Facebook friends that are right there available. And then the people that they know two degrees away from, I'm two degrees from Tony Robbins, you know, That's Richard right. Branson, et cetera. And it's like, I'm sitting here making these excuses for why my life's not working possibly. Right. Okay. Instead of just doing the, the effing work That's of right. posting a message, you know, to individual people who I want to be guests on the show and life shows up. Magic shows up when you just do the work. What do you when you, when you, when you just show up, when That's you correct. show up, because see, you showed up and asked me, right? What do you call yeah. that? Six, six degrees of separation. Correct. So now, so now what, what if I'm talking to Les, right? Which I will be talking to him this week. And he says, Greg, you know what? Um, if you know anybody who wants me to come on your podcast, you know, just let me know. You know, I'm 72 years old right there. Just because we have this connection. Now you have that connection with me and Les Brown with, right. with, with Jim Clemens, one of the two guys that has 10 NBA rings who coached with Phil Jackson, who coached Michael Jordan, and Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal. He's one of my close friends. I just talked to him right before my amputation. So that's just showing up. All you have to do in life is show up. And the more hands you shake, the more podcasts you go on, the more opportunities you have to make. I tell people all the time, like I said, my wife, my mother-in-law, my nieces, my daughter, they hate when I speak because I speak – when I go, my nieces know we're in New York City. I'm speaking to a, a bum right on the street because I don't know what that bum used to do. That's right. He, he could have he been Tony Robbins, a uh, guy who handles stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So he likes me. You know, my, my, my niece, um, it's funny because my niece was talking to Les Brown one time. She says, hey, Mr. Brown, let me tell you this quote my uncle taught me. It says, look at a man as he is, and he only becomes worse. But look at that man as what he could be, then that man becomes who he should be. And Les is mouthing at the same time. And she says, isn't that great? And Les says, yes, sweetie, that's great. Well, he's the guy who made that popular. <laughs> but, right. but it's right. And that's why I teach my nieces, talk to everyone because you don't know everyone's story. And that's why a lot of speakers don't make it because they think I'll speak when I'm on the stage. No, you better speak when you go into a Publix. When you right. go into a Publix, you better speak to the, 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 the boy. Listen, my wife would tell you, when I first started speaking, I would practice because I was still shy. So I would go to, we have a, a grocery store called uh, Giant Eagle, which is like Publix. And I would speak to people. My niece would say, uncle, you love doing it, don't you? I said, well, Savannah, I'm doing it because I'm practicing. I'm not doing it really because I want to talk to them. I'm doing it because I'm practicing. And now I know that's something that even Les Brown did. So one of the kids came up and said, Mr. Walker, I want to thank you. I said, for what? He said, because I was, a, I was a cart boy, and now I'm the head cashier. I look over I, – I, I'm over all these cashiers, and it's because of you. 
And, I, and my wife looked at me, she said, see, Gregory, you don't think you influence people right there? And that's when I found out that really was my gift. My gift is inspiring and elevating people. And I speak to everyone, everyone. I don't care. I don't, if you look at my Facebook, you'll see I got people to buy my books in the hospital. I got pictures of doctors, nurses, uh, the, the dude who's going, going down, who's getting, a, getting an amputation or heart surgery, right? Because you never know who any of those people are. So I, I reach out and talk to everyone from an elevator. I was just at my doctor appointment with my surgeon and there's two old couple there. And I looked at this uh, old, old black dude, and he's a Vietnam veteran. And I just reached out and said, hey, how you doing, sir? And he says, uh, young man, I'm happy to be here, 82 years old. I said, well, I'm blessed to see you. We, we have a conversation. And now he has connections that I always wanted to make. He knows these people. His wife says, sweetie, here's our phone number. We'll get you in contact with those people. Mm. What if I never reached out to that guy? What That's if right. I never said hello? So That's I tell right. all you, all you up-and-coming speakers – you don't just speak when there's a microphone. You speak every single day. That's what we do as speakers. We inspire, we elevate. That's what we do with our voices. That's what I we do with our voices. I love that. So speakers listening to this, you don't just speak when there's a microphone. You speak wherever there's a human ear. That's, that's right. That's it. And let, me tell, let me tell you something really, really, uh, I use this all the time because me and Les was having chicken wings, right? We were eating some chicken wings. And a lady called Les talking about the shootings at the, um, Sandy Hook or wherever it was. We were just mm -hmm. talking about that. She's a speaker. And she says, Les, what if we could have gotten those people's ears as speakers? And she said this, Les, I don't believe the world is the way it is because too many people are violent. She said to Les, Les, I believe the world is the way it is because too many people are, are silent. Silent. They don't speak. They don't speak up. And she says, Les, as speakers, it's our job to get in people's ears because we don't know if that, that adult that we're talking to is going to go take their life. That's right. Like I said, I didn't think me posting my life about my amputation, about me enjoying life would touch anybody. I have all these pictures now that I'm screenshotting of people telling me, thank you for being transparent. Thank you for not being afraid to say that you hurt, that you battled depression when you, when you had your limb removed. We are there to help people. I love it. And I would love to keep this conversation going. However, we're going to wrap it up. So this is my favorite part of the show, Greg. It's called the hustle round. And in the hustle round, I ask you 12 quick fire questions. You'll have three seconds to answer each. Don't overthink it. Just the first thing that comes to you. Are you ready? Let's go. All right. What's your favorite sound? Uh, my wife. What's your least favorite sound? Gas. <laughs> when you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Everything that my family was not. Got that. What are you most afraid of? I'm not trying. Get it. What did you spend way too much time doing your first year in your speaking business? Not speaking. <laughs> Lots of planning, not speaking. I get that. What secret fear do you have about people? Uh, explain that a little bit more. Like, um, you mentioned earlier, like you didn't believe people were authentically meaning the affirmations or the compliments, um, that they would say to you. Um, like most of us, like how we connect with people, how people connect with us. We have these secret fears, right. That just make us human. What secret fear, uh, do you maybe still have about people in general? That they don't believe in themselves that they have so much opportunity, so many skill sets 
that they would never reach their potential. Mm, I get that too. What do you wish you had learned sooner in your business? To take time off. What is a new habit you want to form? To take time off from me. Okay. And what's a bad habit, habit you would like to break? Uh, not speaking when I should be setting. You know, that's what calls me my amputation. Okay, got it. Pick three words to describe who you are now. A believer, loving, and very loyal. And pick three words to describe who you were when you first started out in this business. Scared, non-believer, uh, quiet. Okay. Imagine sometime in the distant future and there you are standing in front of your tombstone. Read to us what it says on it. This mofo lived his life. He has nothing left on the table and he's fully, fully on empty. Fully empty. The gas tank is on empty. And if you could come back to life after you died and tell your family, your friends, only one piece of advice, what would you say to them? Live. Live. Simple. Greg, what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Well, they can follow me on Facebook at Dream Grind Hustle, or just look up Greg Walker. You'll see me speaking on Instagram at Greg Inspires, Twitter, Greg Inspires. And they can get my book, Dream to Grow Rich, How to Dream, Grind, and Hustle, Your Way to Success, forward by Les Brown. They can go to Amazon, or if they want a hard copy where I'll autograph it, they can go to greginspires.com and I'll autograph a book and send it to them. Fantastic. Greg, thanks for joining us today. And I wish you peace, love, and superpowers. You're Cheers. welcome, brother. I appreciate it. Fantastic. Head over to First 100K for even more tools, tactics, and tricks that you can use to go from A to 100K. I'm Joseph Warren, and you were made for greatness. So stop being a wuss and start being a winner. I'll catch you on the, at the top. Have a blessed day. Cheers. Love you, brother. Thanks, man. So amputation, what's going on? Like, that's wild. Uh, you know, I talk, I talk to people and I speak everywhere about, are you willing to set, what are you willing to sacrifice? Yeah. For what you want? Yeah. Like I tell people, um, I slept in my first restaurant for four years, leaving an hour a day only four years. What are you willing to sacrifice? Well, I'm the first person ever to represent Ohio from Columbus, Ohio for the world championship public speaking in 90 years in Toastmasters. So I, I won after only being Toastmasters for two years to go to Vancouver. And I'm a lifelong diabetic. And I got a foot ulcer from walking too much, preparing for that. And I didn't check my feet. Wow. So as type 1 diabetics, type 1 diabetics live less than um, the average person. They have more amputations, more kidney problems, more dialysis. So I didn't look at my, my feet. I felt them. I have neuropathy. I know I'm supposed to look at my feet. I didn't. Four years ago, I lost my right pinky toe because of my sweet Nike shoes my wife bought me. So when I took my shoe off and my sock off, my two nieces, I raised my wife. They kind of gasped, but my wife started crying. I said, what? She said, we have to go right now. So I went to the doctor and he said, you know, Greg, this, it's just superficial. I said, what's that mean? He said, it's just the outer layer of skin. Like if anybody gets a blister. Well, I told him I had, I was going to the world championship public speaking. He said, I would kind of go against that and I said listen all my life I've risked everything and that's why I've succeeded at 52 years of age because I don't miss opportunities if I miss this 
there's there's 108 clubs in Ohio, mm -hmm. and I'm the first person from Columbus in 90 years. What what are my chances of getting back there? Mm. Good point. Right, I I can't compete now because of my foot. So he I, he said, well, um, there's an old line in the movie. Uh, uh, what's that movie with Rod, uh, Sylvester Stallone uh, where he's walking down the street and that cop gives him a lot of trouble? Nah, I don't do well with movies. First, first Blood. First, first Blood. blood. Well, he's a, a soldier from Vietnam and, is, and, you know, he's killing all these people, you know, because they're, they're giving a hard time. And his general from Vietnam walks in and he says, young man, if I can't make you listen to me, I might as well hell join you. And that's what my doctor said. If I can't control you, Greg, I might as well enjoy you. So go. I'll put a boot on you. Well, if you look at my Facebook, you'll see me in July in Vancouver. And I'm wearing, I wear my shorts when I speak. And I have a boot. And wow. my, left, my left leg is two times bigger than my right leg. Wow, crazy. And it's because I wasn't supposed to walk on it. So that was in July and August, right? Then I started speaking all over everywhere else in my leg. And it wasn't healing right. So my nieces and I, we just went to New York. You know, my friend and mentor is Les Brown. So Les and I was speaking together. I was there for five, five days. And I believe when in Rome, be a Roman. Mm -hmm. So we're in, we're in New York. I'm walking around, but I am. I got my leg up all the time. Come back to Columbus. I canceled um, a speech in Atlanta. That's supposed to be there two weeks. And we're speaking at our big convention center here in Columbus to the BPA Business Professionals of America. And my niece is the president of that chapter. And excuse me, I'm supposed to speak for five hours, five hours. So the first speech, my leg, I've never, I've never said no to anybody, but my leg and my foot felt like there was gasoline mm. in my foot. On fire. And, yep. Yeah. And I called him. I said, brother, I cannot come in and speak. I'm sorry. I can't. He said, what's wrong? My niece came out and checked on me. I said, Casey, I don't know what's wrong. I, did, I spoke for three hours after that. I just pushed past the pain. We're setting down all eating together. And it's like at six o'clock now. I didn't want to go home. I just wanted to lay there on the table on the ground and just go to sleep. I, I was yeah. so weak. I get, get home, get home. My uh, temperature is 106. My wife says, dear, we got to go to the doctor. So I called my doctor. We went and he says, Greg, we're going to the hospital right now. He said, the reason why you're so weak is your foot is so infected. It's so infected. And uh, he said, you know, I'm going to try to keep her leg. And he took 51% of my foot. But so I tell people, I just talked to my Toastmasters group because I haven't seen them since August. And uh, Christmas parties come up on the 12th. And, I, and, and they said, Greg, would you do it again? I said, absolutely. Absolutely. Because as Les Brown always taught me, young man, you want to live full and die empty. And I have. Hmm. And when you come from my family, one of 15, with all nine brothers being locked up, sisters who are prostitutes, you're the only person ever to go past the ninth grade. Your daddy had 18 brothers and sisters. Your mother had 14. You're the only one to go past the ninth grade and you succeed in life. I don't pass a pop to Hell yes, I'd do it again. I would lose my foot to go do what I did because I'm never going to live my life with a regret. Like my father-in-law and other old people I know to say, I could have done this. I wish I would have done that. I would never be that individual. Never. Greg, Greg, what a story, right? You know, I find some of the best conversations I have is with entrepreneurs that have been through a lot of pain and uh, the ones that actually faced it head on with a smile on their face rather than got bitter and, and broken, they got better.